Hi there. I want to start off this episode a little differently. Normally they start off with a little teaser from inside the interview, um, but I wanted to chat first. I am so blessed and so grateful for the opportunity to get to interview Brandy today. If you're watching on YouTube, you can see I am a hot mess because I just finished ugly crying re-watching my interview with her today. And I couldn't be more thankful. My word for this year was a line. And my prayer was that God continue to align me with the right people in the right places at the right time. And he has continued to do that more times than I can count in just the first 31 days of this year. So my ask to you is that if you are on a platform where you're just listening is to stop the video or stop the recording and pull it up on YouTube, uh, finding my best self on YouTube so you can watch because this episode is so powerful. And I think if you can see this woman when she speaks, that it'll touch your heart that much more. So without further ado, here is the interview with the most incredible woman who is so strong, Brady Verdam. Welcome to Finding My Best Self, the podcast that celebrates the extraordinary in every woman. Each week, your host, Pam Rivette, will share practical how-to advice, empowering you with strategies and insights to navigate life's complexities. We'll welcome inspiring guests, women who have defied the odds, transformed obstacles into opportunities, and are redefining what success truly means. From navigating personal and professional challenges to celebrating triumphs in fitness, self-care, and beyond, we explore it all. Whether you're seeking motivation or a spark of inspiration, this is your sanctuary for empowerment, authentic conversations, and a whole lot of real talk. So lace up your sneakers, grab that cup of coffee, and let's embark on this journey together. Exploring the lives of women who are making it happen, sharing both the struggles and the victories. Welcome to Finding My Best Self, where every episode is a step towards becoming the hero of your own story. Hello, and welcome back to another episode of Finding My Best Self. Today, I have with me Brandy Verda. Brandy and I connected on Facebook last year sometime um, after I helped her son purchase a home, and I've been following her and her story, and she has inspired me and many, many others in a lot of ways. And before, when, whenever I asked her to um, interview and be on the podcast, she accepted immediately. And I wanted to do just like a little pre-interview with her and just kind of chat with her a little bit more and get to know her. And in that, I learned that we have a lot in common when it comes to the fitness business and podcasting and things like that. 
So it was even more exciting that we got to share some of that and she was able to help me. And I don't want to give too much information about who she is and what she's been through. I want her to share those things. Um, But I hope that from this interview, you are able to take away a lot in faith and be inspired on how to be strong and how to go through life with a mindset that God's always got you. And I'll just leave it at that. And so Brandy, I'll let you take over and I guess start off with talking about your previous fitness business and podcasting and all of that. And we can just kind of go from there because that is what I love about you, the, all of the, the great things that you did and how much fitness means to you, because we definitely have that in common. So first and foremost, I want to thank you for having me. It's kind of weird being in the interview seat instead of interviewer, I'm the interviewee. My name is Brandy Verde, and I would like to say a few things about myself that I've been married to my husband. We've been together for 31 years, married for 29. I have two children. Both are married. Um, Luke is married to Jenny, and Brittany's married to Timmy. And Brittany and Timmy birthed my first granddaughter last April 25th. So her one year birthday is coming up. And she Um, is so cute. Yes, ma'am. Thank you so much. I um I'm a retired personal trainer. I love all things fitness and wellness. I fell in love with fitness my freshman year of high school when our softball coach took us into the girls' weight room and I just I fell in love with the weights. I fell in love with the endorphins that I experienced while weightlifting. And I've been into different levels of fitness throughout my life. Sometimes it was periods of where I would just go for walks. Some At one point I became a runner, but there's nothing like weightlifting. It's, um, it's, it brings out, I'm going to say the savage in me. I've had a hard life. So um, I had a lot of rage built up in me and I found that at, lifting weights was an outlet for some of that pent up rage. Yes. I also fell in love with helping other people fall in love with themselves through weightlifting. So I became a certified personal trainer and I opened the gym 3125 fitness. It was named after Proverbs 3125. She is clothed with strength and dignity. And she will laugh without fear of the future. And that scripture means so much to me and the walk I'm walking today. I retired as a trainer because I was in a boating accident and my shoulder was destroyed in the boating accident and I had reconstructive surgery for my shoulder. About a year after the surgery, I decided to try to return back to personal training, but it was a lot of hard work. You know, I'm a hands-on trainer, so I'll spot you, I'll show you reps, and 
So I ended up working out throughout the day and it was hard. It was hard on my body. It was hard to walk away from being a trainer. And I knew that I wasn't done with the fitness world. I just didn't know what to do next. So I decided, well, let me give something that's free. Everybody loves free. And podcasting is free. And you can help to share knowledge, the knowledge that you have and the knowledge that your guest has. So I started a podcast named Undisturbable, the podcast. And the basis of that podcast was on um, health and fitness and wellness. And I had a lot of holistic and functional medicine professionals on my show. I had a Saints player on my show. That was probably the most exciting thing for me because I love football. I I live for football. I love football. So, yeah, uh, Delvin Bro. Delvin Bro was on my show and I was so excited to have him. And he has a very inspirational story as he recovered from a broken neck and from college and then played in the NFL. So uh, for the Saints and um, so interviewing people was fun for me because I felt like it was like making friends who love the things you love. And because I was so interested in what makes the human body tick, what can we do to manipulate our bodies to make them stronger, to make them healthier, to make them better especially coming from a background of eating well and trying to fuel my body naturally with nourishing foods, but knowing that I didn't know it all. So I Mm -hmm. had to seek the um, intelligence of the other people in the industry, because if you think you know it all, then that's a problem. You know, you can always learn more, which led to why my podcast ended because I wanted to know more. So at 47 years old, I enrolled in college. And that was the craziest thing because I had graduated 30 years before from high school. And college was, oh, it was the experience of a lifetime trying to learn math again, algebra, trigonometry, statistics. Oh, yeah. And um, I think college was more rewarding to me than being a trainer and doing the podcast because through my education, I was able to really learn who I was as a person. Yeah. When I was in high school, I was the class clown. I didn't sit still (laughs) on my desk. And so I had to learn to sit for three hours in a math class. And you still don't sit still. I still (laughs) still. see me wiggling in my chair, (laughs) but I did it. I did it. And I finished my first year of college with a 4.0. So, um, yeah, I was very proud of myself because having to get in a class with all these kids fresh out of high school, I mean, I'm 47 and I think the next, the closest person in age to me was in their early twenties in one class. And then 
when I moved to my algebra class, they had um, a girl that was probably about six or eight years younger than me, but the, the median age of the class was in their 20s. Mm. So I was like the old lady of the class. But I, even though I'm retired, I still love all things wellness and fitness. I just can't get enough. I, I love to know what makes the human body tick. Mm-hmm. I love all of that. And I love hearing how much fitness means to meant to you then and how much it still means to you today. And that even though all what you're currently going through, you have not stopped your path to fitness. So for the last, I think it's been nine months, nine or 10 months, and I know you'll explain, but last year you received some very unexpected news. And that is what I'm referring to whenever I say that you have inspired me so much and just following your journey. So can you share with our listeners what exactly that news was that you received last year? So on April 25th of last year, my granddaughter was born. And a few weeks prior to her being born, I had made an appointment with my general practitioner because I felt like I couldn't recover from my workouts. I was struggling to recover. Now I had a personal trainer because again, you don't know it all. So even though I'm a retired trainer, I said, well, let me have someone over me. Let me have someone dictate to me what to do. Let me push this body and see what it could, this 47 year old body could do. So, um, I kept telling my trainer, God, you're killing me. Like I can't recover. You know, I'm having trouble recovering. And then at some point I was having trouble catching my breath in between sets. And that was uncommon for me. Even my trainer said, you know, I don't know what's going on, but I'm not used to you needing a break. And so I went to the doctor and she told me I was anemic. And um, she said, look, if you're iron doesn't go up after you take these iron pills, I'm going to have to send you to a specialist or we're going to do an iron transfusion. So I said, okay. And because of how I cared for my body, I refused to have an iron transfusion. Little did I know I would have several eventually. So I took iron pills for a few days and I started not because of the arm pills, but I started noticing blood in my urine. And I couldn't tell if it was coming through the urine or it was in the toilet. And I couldn't tell if it was coming from the urethra or the vagina. So at first I thought it was, you know, okay, I'm 47. Maybe this is menopause. Like started asking a few friends who went through menopause and they were like, no, I never had anything like that happen. Well, I started passing bloody tissue and I called my gynecologist and should I come in early? I'm due to come in late April. Should I come now? She said, no, don't worry about it. Just come for your regular appointment. Well, when I went back for the follow-up with the general practitioner, she, I told her I thought I had a parasite. And she said, no, I don't think you have a parasite. I think you may have kidney or bladder cancer. 
And I was like, yeah, whatever. <laughs> like, there's no way. Cancer doesn't run in my family. My grandpa had lymphoma, which is not hereditary. No one in my family ever had kidney or bladder cancer. So I, I was like, okay, whatever. And she was like, I'm, I'm going to refer you to a urologist. So on May, well, on May 1st, I had a CT scan because I went to the urologist a couple of days before that. And um, he said, I'm going to order a CT scan. But he said, look, I, I think you have bladder or kidney cancer. I'm going to be honest. He said, there's a one in five chance that that's what it is. And he said, I think it's probably that. He said, but let me explain to you, this is treatable. You have nothing to worry about. It's absolutely treatable. So I said, okay, well, I wasn't even worried about it because I didn't think I had that. <laughs> like in my head, I don't have right. cancer. Right. So on, this is where my mind was at. My grandbaby is born. I'm going to my daughter's house as often as possible to see my grandbaby. And I have a facial scheduled on May 1st. And so I'm not canceling that. I'm going to my facial. So I got up on the morning of May 1st and I went to Thibodeau Regional Wellness to have a CT scan. I had 12 tubes of blood drawn because in the middle of all that, I had hired a functional medicine practitioner to see what was wrong with me. Like what is going on with this body? So I was checking it on all points, but it took a while to get in with her. So she ordered 10 tubes of blood and the urologist ordered two. So I had that done. I left. I came home at eight. I went to the gym. I trained. I ate some lunch, went to the massage that, well, the facial, but the massage was like the best massage ever after the facial. She did a, a shoulder massage and it was fabulous. So I was so relaxed and I came home. And I logged into my computer. It was a low after five. And I, I saw that my portal had had an update. So I got on my phone, logged into my Thibodeau Regional Portal. And I saw that I had a 14 by 12 by 10 centimeter tumor on my kidney that had metastasized to my lungs, both right and left. I had lymph nodes that were inflamed. My spleen was inflamed. And I said, wow, so this is 47 years old. This is, this is where we at. And my husband had been at work for a few months. He, had, he was asked to ride over. And so I called him and I said, hey, it's cancer and you're going to have to come home because I can't put this on our kids. And he said, okay, you know, I'm, I'm coming. And so he's Brandy, in and I hate to cut you off. Can you tell, cause I, you told me on our call, can you tell the listeners how big that is actually in size? So in comparison to the, so my tumor is the size of a football. It's, it's the size of a football. Actually, I have a story of 
my, my children came with me to meet with the surgeon and the surgeon brought a resident in and I was sitting and the resident, he kept looking at me and I was like, okay, he's making me feel weird because like, I couldn't tell if he was lusting or if he was just like, like if there, if I had a booger, like I didn't right. know what was going on. Like, why are you looking at me? Like why that? are you looking at me? Right. And he was making me feel really uncomfortable for a minute. And when the surgeon pulled up my CT scan and he said, look, this is a resident and I'm going to do a little bit of teaching on your visit. I hope you don't mind. And he said, this is her CT scan and this is the tumor. And he said, I've been staring at her since we've been in here trying to figure out how that tumor fits in her little body. And I went, you're so oh, tiny. Okay. But I was like, oh my God, okay, he's not lost. In <laughs> that was, he was making me feel uncomfortable, but he was you're creeping looking, me out. He was really looking though at where my kidney would be. Like he wasn't looking me in the face. He was looking in the area of there. And so I believe he was being truthful. But so my husband came home and I told my kids and and I, I said. I just, my son, his wife, my son and his wife came over and I said, I don't want to be controlling in this situation, but I just ask that y'all don't cry in front of me. We have to be strong. There can't be no crying, right? We're going to attack this the only way we know how, and that's through faith. And I said, I understand y'all have feelings, but we can't have this dirge-like atmosphere. We have to be strong in our faith. So I pick up my husband from the airport and I had to go in to the urologist's office and he was doing a scope and um, assist the scope and we were going to go over the results. And so I, my niece had had a cystoscope and she said they put her to sleep for it. Well, mine, I did not get put to sleep because when you have kidney cancer, you can't just be put to sleep all the time. So I had mine with no anesthesia. I was up having him navigate through my bladder. And he said, I want y'all to come in the room and I'm going to talk to y'all. And I, I told him, I said, I saw I saw the, I saw the CT scan report. So I, I know. And he said, okay. And he had tears. My husband was sitting in the corner. He was crying. Father told him not to cry in front of me, but he was crying. I told and, you um, not to do that. And, and the urologist had tears in his eyes. And he said, I'm so sorry. He said, I'm going to have to send you to a specialist in New Orleans. And he said, I've, I sat under this doctor and he said, he's the best. And he said, I, I can't, there's no way I could get that thing out of you. And I said, can I still go to the gym? Mm-hmm. <laughs> and he said, if you feel good, go to the gym. All I was worried about was, am I going to have to miss the gym over this? I don't even think I realized that I was dying. I I didn't realize I was dying. And 
So everything happened quick. The surgeon in New Orleans called, and I will tell you, it was God's favor immediately. Immediately, it was God's favor. He called. He said, I don't have an appointment on the book, but I'm telling the girls to make you an appointment. I want to see you tomorrow. Mm -hmm. So we we went in and he talked to me and he said, I want to have all these tests done, MRI, CT scan. A uh, nuclear bone scan. We're going to have all these tests done. So I said, okay. So he said, someone's going to call you. The next morning, his nurse called from home. She was on her day off. And she said, there's no appointments available for weeks, but this is unacceptable. The surgeon is making some phone calls and I will be in touch with you. So I'm thinking like it's going to be in a few days. She called me about 20 minutes later. She said, can you get in the car right now? They will see you now. Come to Jefferson Highway to our main campus imaging center. Oh, wow. So I told my husband, I said, let's go. Let's go. So we had there and I had so much dye and all these things injected to me and another slew of scans. And that was on May 5th. So I had, was diagnosed on May 1st. On May 5th, I had blood work. I had scans. And what I didn't tell y'all was on April of 22nd, I think it was, of 2021, I went for my annual checkup and I had blood work done with my annual checkup with my gynecologist. And they called and said all of my blood work was fine. Well, because I'm all in on fitness and what makes the body tick, I get a copy of my blood work and I always look over it. And I noticed that I was anemic. I noticed that I had stage two kidney failure. So I called the nurse and they said it was nothing to worry about. They kind of said it was the natural aging process or whatever, that you lose kidney function as you age. So I was like, but stage two kidney failure? And she said, yeah, it's everything's good. The doctor said you're good. So the following year, when I went back, stage two kidney failure, but it had got worse. But in the meantime, I started researching what, caused, what could have caused my kidney failure and I realized I had 10-year-old breast implants. And so I scheduled to get my breast implants removed. I had an explant. And I did notice a lot of things in my body improve after having the implants out. Like I had an eye that was drooping. And when they willed me out of surgery, my husband said, oh, your eye's not drooping anymore. So oh, wow. they were definitely causing harm to my body. So... On May 1st of 2023, when Thibodeau Regional did my blood work, I still had stage two kidney failure. Now, you know, a lot of people are like, I don't go to Facebook with my problems. Well, I went to Facebook and I said, please pray for me because I have cancer. And I want everybody that's 
can pray for me to pray for me. And I will tell you, I had not one treatment. Not, nothing was done to me except those dyes for those scans, more blood drawn. And when they did the blood work on May 5th. Wait, I was about to say, Brandy, when did you ask Facebook for prayers? What on May that? 1st. On May, on May 1st, 1st when you got your diagnosis. Yes. Okay. Yes. Mm-hmm. And on May 5th, when they drew my blood, I had a hundred percent kidney function. And today I still have a hundred percent kidney function. And God restored, even with that massive tumor, he restored my kidney function. And so I knew, and look, I didn't ask, show me a sign. I I don't, I didn't ask, show me a sign, but I knew. I also, most people get upset about cancer and, you know, they use these explicit words about cancer. And I told my children, I said, please, I don't know what's going to happen with this, but don't use curse words. And then the word cancer behind my name, because I'm not mad that I have this. I understood day one that this cancer is not about me. I Like I had that assurance in my heart that the diagnosis wasn't about me. I didn't know what was about to happen to everybody around me, but I just knew like, This ain't about you, Brandy. This is so much bigger than you. And I said, Lord, two years ago, I fully surrendered my life to you. And I'm going to trust you. I'm going to trust you. And so what I did was I took Ephesians 6, 10 through 13, literal. I thought back to when I was a little girl and my mom would buy me the Wonder Woman under ruse. And I thought I was Wonder Woman and I was so strong and mighty in those under ruse. And I said, you know, she had that shield and that rope. And I said, I am going to hide behind the word of God. I'm going to put on the full armor of God and I'm going to fight this. Bye digging deeper into the word and trusting God and trusting what he has for me in this. And I knew that something good was going to come of it, even when everything looked grim. And so I mentioned that I thought I had a parasite and lo and behold, the functional medicine doctor determined I indeed had a parasite. Not only did I have a parasite, but my vitamin C levels were at zero. And I have taken vitamin C for years every day. I eat a vitamin C rich diet. The parasite depleted me of all my vitamins. It depleted my iron. That's why I was anemic. 
it wreaked havoc on my body and it is believed that it's probably what caused the cancer. It left my body vulnerable with no nutrients to fight. And I do believe I contracted that parasite in the Dominican Republic. If you do the research and you do the timeline, I've been having this cancer for about 4.6 years. Kidney cancer grows on average about three centimeters a year and mine was 14 centimeters. So when you look at the timeline and so, you know, I think about it and I'm like, you know, thank God he gave me a strong body because I was doing all that working out, doing all of that, living my best life with cancer and didn't even know it. Didn't even know it. Didn't know it. And today I feel like nothing's wrong, but I'm not going to downplay. So in May, right after they took the 12 tubes of blood and some more blood, I think I counted, I had 20 something tubes of blood taken in like three weeks and I was already anemic. Well, it put me to near, I was on my deathbed. So I went in to see the medical oncologist and um, she did more blood work. And she told me, she said, I'm going to have to put you in the hospital. And she said, you in grave condition. She said, if you make it out the hospital, we're going to start immunotherapy. She said, in a few weeks and She said, I'm waiting for them to have a bed for you. And so I told my husband, I said, well, can we go eat? So we went eat for for Orchid in New Orleans. And we went to CVS and I said, well, it's like we going to the beach. So I said, let's get some, because we were there with nothing. I mean, I had no clothes, no nothing. I didn't know I was spending the night. Well, a, a little while, a day and a night in the hospital. And so um, they started blood transfusion. And um, while I was in there, different people were coming in and seeing me and they were drawing my blood almost every two hours. And um, I didn't know I was dying. I, I had no idea. And so probably I think it was four oncologists came in. They were all in white coats. And uh, they laid it out for me and they said, you know, you, you know, you in grave condition and um, it's not good. And I was eating a Dot's Diner hamburger and I just kept taking bites off of the hamburger and I was letting what they said in one ear and out the other. And I was thinking to myself, y'all don't know me. You, you don't know me and I hear what you say and, and I understand that you have to say that to me, but I'm going to fight. And so the next day they were wanting to keep me. And I said, listen, my son's wedding shower is tomorrow and I need to be home for that because I'm hosting this wedding shower and I can't <laughs> host if I'm not there. And they were like, okay, well, when someone's in a terminal situation like you, we usually honor it. 
because it could be one of the last moments you have with your family. And I'm like, okay, so I'm going to get to go home tomorrow, right? I'm going to be good. And they just looking at me like, you weird. (laughs) So I came home and I don't even know how I made it through the night. I was, it was rough. And I got up and I went to my son's wedding shower and um, I hosted it. And then I came home and I crashed out. I was so weak that those next weeks after that, I, I could barely walk. I had trouble breathing. If I got up from the couch and went to the kitchen, I had to hold on to the counter. I couldn't just stand on my own free will. I was experiencing death and it was one of the most peaceful times of my life. And I wasn't afraid. And the most important thing to me at that time was my soul. So I reached out to some of the elders of my church and had them come over and just make sure that my soul was, I believed that my soul was well, but I had had some things, so many things happen to me over my life. And I had a lot of unforgiveness that I thought I had forgiven. And so I needed biblical counsel on how to approach the people who I had been harboring unforgiveness towards, even though I felt like, so I felt like I forgave them, but I wasn't sure. Like at that point, when you're facing death, like you want all your I's dotted and your T's crossed because like, this is it. Like, you know, this could be it. And So they counseled me and um, I listened to every word they said and I said, okay. So I told my husband, I said, I'm going to pray about this because I'm not just going to contact people and be like, oh, hey, you know, I forgive you. And they could be like, yeah, she's saying this because she's going to die. Like one by one, when I eventually did do it, I had to say, look, I'm not telling you this because I think I'm going to die. I'm telling you this because I'm going to live. And I just want you to know that whatever I did in my part, I'm sorry. And as a matter of fact, that happened today before this podcast interview at Rouse's in Thibodeau. And I'll explain in a minute. So... You know, I went over all the spiritual stuff and, you know, making sure my soul was well. I had a will drawn about a year before I was diagnosed. So all of that was taken care of. And um, so then I'm starting to go through the processes of biopsies and biopsies and different things that goes into the procession of you know, my new diagnosis, my new life, you know, what my new life for temporary life is going to be. And when I would get upset, I would, blood would come out 
I would go to the toilet and it was nothing but blood. There was no urine. It was blood. And so I talked to the surgeon and I talked to the doctor who did the bio was going to be doing the biopsy. And they both told me, they said, Brandy, you have an emotional tumor. And I said, an emotional tumor. And they said that tumor is emotionally driven. You cannot have any stress in your life. And of course, unfortunately, in times of crisis, there are going to be situations and people who are around that instead of lifting you up, they, they'll bring you down. And I had people messaging me saying, you know, the hardest thing you're going to have to go through is that you won't have peace and you're going to struggle in your faith. And I wanted to lash out because I'm like, you don't even know me. You might be my relative, but you don't know me because I am not struggling in my faith and I have peace. And I've learned that through this, that I think sometimes we just really need to be quiet when somebody's going through something, because even with the best of intentions, we'll say things that can destroy or upset people. And it, it eventually got to the point to where my husband took my phone away. So no one had access to me. And I was proud of him because probably for one of the first times in our marriage, he stood up and was the man of this house and he protected my life. And yeah. he limited the outside access to me. and. I believe that that is part of what saved my life because I couldn't handle the strife and, you know, the even people, people were that were close to me were arguing with each other and then coming to me with their problems. And I'm like, oh, no, this could be my last Mother's Day with my children. I can't fix your quarrel anymore. I can't come in between. So we had a lot of kinks and the, you know, in the behind the scenes, we had a lot of things going on, not just fighting yeah. cancer. We had a lot of emotional things going on. And so as a family, we decided to stick together and that we would stand in faith. And Psalm 118, 17 says, I will live and not die. And I will live to declare the works of the Lord. And that stayed on me. Knowing that this illness was, again, not about me. And then I thought about Lazarus. And Mary and Martha, whenever in John 11, when they called for Jesus to come because Lazarus was dying and they called themselves friends of Jesus. And I said, you know, I'm a friend of Jesus. He is my friend. He's, you know, he's, I consider, I talk, when I pray, I talk to him like he's my friend mm -hmm. and so I thought about Lazarus and I thought about how long would this be? 
And I said, you know, God, please don't let this last forever. I, I really want to see my healing on this side of heaven. But I also wanted to come quick. And I realized very quickly that it wasn't coming quickly. <laughs> quick was not in his vocabulary because there was a lot of things that still needed to be worked out in me and the people around me. And so I continued to pray and stand in faith. And so I had started immunotherapy. And when the doctor scheduled my immunotherapy, she said that I would not get a port because she didn't believe that I would have a significant amount of treatments because I was in such grave condition. She explained to me what palliative care was, and I let her explain it to me. And that's when they basically just keeping you alive. And um, it's to extend your life to whatever degree. And I looked at her and I said, I will not die of this. I will live. And you're going to see. And eventually that doctor and I had a yelling, screaming match because for a while I was feeble. I didn't have any strength. And I was treated for the parasite on June 1st. I had to go through three rounds of treatment, medical treatment, not these cleanses. It was flaggle for 10 days. Then I had ivermectin. And then 14 days later, I had another dose of ivermectin. And let me tell you what a parasite does. Parasites do not like to be tampered with and they do not like to be expelled from your body. So what they do is when they recognize that you're being treated, they unleash thousands of eggs and hatch eggs in your body. I was in so much torment and pain that I told my husband I was not getting treatment for the cancer, that I was just going to die because I couldn't go through what the parasite was doing to me. Mm -mm. And he was so nervous because he knows when I say I'm going to do something that I usually mean it. Mm -hmm. And but I started expelling the worms <laughs> for six weeks. I expelled worms in my poop, the grossest thing ever. But I will tell you after right. six weeks, when that thing was gone, I felt so alive. On July 10th, I walked into the wellness center and reactivated my membership. I had nearly crawled in, in June. I couldn't even walk from the parking lot into the building to put my account on hold. And so on July 10th, I said, I am fighting. I am going to fight every way I know how, and I am going to live. So I started the whole body. I don't know about anybody else that's listening, but. So. And I don't, I, let me not cut you off again, but I want to backtrack just for a second, because there's something that you said on our call that we had that I really liked. And it made me smile when that doctor told you that she wasn't putting that port in you. What did you tell her? 
I don't want one anyway. I've I always been I right. was I've always been <laughs> a person that talks back. Probably got my butt whipped so many times since growing up for talking back. I I mean, and so she was like, you know, you're not going to get one. And I'm like, well, I didn't want one anyway. <laughs> I mean, and literally, I really didn't want one anyway, but I didn't understand. I didn't understand the magnitude of why I wasn't getting it. So the consequence was, the consequence was that I had to get an IV every three weeks. But I mean, so we start training, I'm training and I see the doctor and I, I specifically, actually I wore this black tank top with a black headband, black shoes and black shorts. And I said, I'm going to that appointment and I'm going prepared for combat. So when I went to the lab to have my blood drawn, the lab tech said, you look so intimidating. And I said, really? Because that's the look I was going for today. And she said, what? And I said, yeah, I'm seeing my oncologist. I'm seeing her and I'm about to have a word with her and I'm about to let her know. So when she walked in the room, she said, oh, I didn't know you had tattoos. And I said, well, it's time for me to reintroduce myself to you. And I'm letting you know today that you are not going to treat me like I am going to die. You are going to treat me like I am going to live. Amen. And she lost her mind. When I say she lost her mind, she started yelling. All you do is talk about healing. You don't listen to nothing we say. You don't hear us. We short staff. The nurse that came in, this is her second occupation. I mean, she was just popping up. I got in her head so bad. It was terrible. (laughs) And at some point when she finished screaming, she said, can we just go over this blood work so, so that we can move on with this appointment? And I said, if you done, I'm done. So she sat down and we acted like it never happened. We went over the blood work and she said, I know that Dr. Orcott talked to you about having surgery. And she said, I want you to know that if your scans come back clean, I'm not going to interfere in surgery this time. Because in May, they were scheduling me for surgery and she interrupted and said no. And I will tell you, as much as I was upset with her, she saved my life. She saved my life. I was in no condition to have surgery at all. Not a, not a one-hour surgery or a, almost died having the biopsy done. I was so feeble. And so um, we, that started the healing process between that oncologist and I, and I will mention, I have 12 oncologists. I have a 12 man oncology team. And now I call them my 12 disciples because I know that God, God's going to give them the wisdom and the innovative creativity on how to treat me properly. And I've, I've always been a difficult person. I'm unusual. I'm rare. I'm all those things. And so I expected cancer to be like, why would I expect anything different than my cancer to be unusual, rare, never seen, 
you know, all the words that they use. And so the scans came back and she said, let's go a little bit longer. And I said, okay. Well, behind the scenes, the surgeon called and he said, come in, I want to see you. So he scheduled surgery for October 25th behind her back. And so I was like, well, I mean, she can't stop him. I mean, she can technically, but so let's go with this. So he orders a MRI, a CT scan, and a PET scan. And so I started bleeding and I didn't know where it was coming from. And a week before I was getting clear to have surgery, we found that the cancer spread through my urinary tract. I was the 16th person in the world to have that kind of metastasis, 16. So don't talk to me about statistics. Don't, (laughs) because if it's one in a million, I could be that one in a million. When they was going to do my surgery on October 25th, I did have surgery on October 25th, but it was to remove the metastasis. They were telling me, you know, sign this paper. If we have to do a blood transfusion, there's risk. And the risk is one in however many million. And I said, ma'am, the tumor they're about to remove is only the 16th one in the world like it. I said, don't talk to me about statistics. We're going to leave that to God. It's up to him. And so I did not get cleared to have my tumor removed because this cancer had spread. So I did have surgery on October 25th, but it was to remove the metastasis. And um, I I cried because I felt like God had abandoned me. How cruel could you take me up to one week before surgery and the answer is no. And I'll elaborate on that when I get a little further into the interview, but I felt weak when I cried and I had to remind myself about the story of Lazarus. When Jesus went back, he wept at Lazarus's tomb. And so weeping is okay. It's okay to cry. And, you know, I had to learn that, that, you know, if, cause I never had the meltdown. I never had a like, oh my God, this is happening to me. And I felt so abandoned and I felt abandoned by God. And I do have a, a fear of abandonment. I've been, I've been working on that for years and I realized though eventually that he didn't abandon me, but that's what it felt like. And that's why we can't go by feelings because feelings or they come and go, you know, you might feel good today, bad tomorrow. And so you can't make decisions on feelings. And so I said, you know what? I have to dig deep in my faith because the surgeon who was doing that surgery 
she told me that she couldn't guarantee she would be able to remove that tumor. She was going to, her last words to me as they were wheeling me to the back was, I'm going to try. And so my mother, my father-in-law, my husband, my son, my daughter, and my grandbaby were at the hospital with me that day to have that surgery. And I felt bad because they took me to surgery late and the hospital staff kept apologizing. And I said, don't be sorry. I feel sorry for there was a person that was in surgery that when they opened them up, the cancer was far worse than they thought. So I was laying in my bed praying for that person because their case was far worse than they had anticipated. So their surgery went over two hours longer than it was supposed to. So finally, the surgeon came in and she's the sweetest thing. And she says, um, how, how are you? And I said, I, you know, I'm good. I just, you know, I'm ready. And she said, okay, I just want to remind you that I, I can't promise you that I'm going to be able to take this out. And I said, okay. I said, let's just go. So they injected my IV with the sedative. And every other time I've had surgery, I just like, I'm rolling down, you know, you're rolling down the hallway and you, you like you out. Well, this time they rolled me down the hallway and I was up. They put me on the surgery table and I was up and I'm watching all these people in this room and the doctor's on the computer and she's typing stuff. And I'm like, oh my God, what if I don't go out? So they kept injecting me with stuff. And finally they came with a mask and they said, okay, breathe in 10 times. And after about the fifth breath, I went, I went out. The next thing I remember, I was in recovery. And so my husband is standing there and he's looking at me. And I said, what? And he said, oh, my God. And I said, what? Did they get it out? I mean, what? And he said, Brandy, the doctor texted me that she was beginning surgery. And it was going to be two hours. So we left to go in the hospital to get food. And he said, it lasted 11 minutes. I said, what? He said, you had surgery and a cystoscope all in 11 minutes. And I said, how? He said, when they went to remove it, it broke apart. It was dead and it fell apart. And I said, oh, my God, I see you. Mm-hmm. So a month later, I went to my post-op and I said, I want to talk to you about the surgery. And the surgeon said, well, what do you want to talk about? And I said, well, have you ever seen a tumor? Just, I mean, the report says that itself like it's self-decapitated, like it just fell off. And I said, have you ever seen that? And she said, no. And to be honest, I really wasn't skilled to do that surgery. She said, but I offered to do it. I figured I'd try. It was the literal 
Jesus said, move out of the way. I'm going to take the wheel. The hand of God. Yes, ma'am. And so I knew. I knew that God has a purpose through this. My husband, my friends, my family, my children, building their faith. And so I said, okay, what's next? I mean, what's next? Like, because now it spread, like it changed everything. So everything changed. And I go to the surgeon and he says, they're not going to tell you, but I'm going to tell you, you have really, really bad cancer and you're probably not going to have surgery. The medicine they're putting you on is not going to work. And I know nobody wants to tell you. I don't know why they're afraid to tell you now, but they are. And I said, but I don't understand why I can't just have surgery. Like, can you just tell me? Well, like, I don't understand why you can't just cut me open and take it out. And he said, Brandy, you would die. He said, we would, you know, because they would have to cut me from my sternum to my pubic bone. And he said, you would die. He said, you might make it out of surgery, maybe, but you probably wouldn't recover. And I said, okay. Now, the surgeon, he's been Team Brandy, rah, 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 Team Brandy. So that day, he's like all defeated and, you know, sorry to tell me. And he put his hand on my shoulder and I was like, Get, no, like I moved my shoulder away. Like, I don't need nobody baby in me. Like, if it, it is what it is, but I'm going home and pray about it. So we were on our way home and. My husband was crying. My children were crying. I felt so bad for them. And I'm just like, we fight some more. Like we just fight more. Because I had a vision of myself walking down the hallway after having surgery. And I refuse to not accept that this thing is going to come out of me. I saw myself walking down that hallway. I also had a vision of my granddaughter hiding behind my love seat saying, BB, you can't find me. And when I looked behind the love seat, she had piggy tails. Well, she's a bald headed baby right now. I hold on to that knowing that God is answering the prayers that I pray to him for extension of my life. And so Where we at now is, so that was November 7th when the surgeon says, you know, they don't want to tell you, but you're never going to have surgery. So we riding home, my husband's crying, the phone rings, and it's the medical oncologist who I had the screaming match with. The one who told me, all you talk about is healing. So she says... Hey, how you doing? I'm sorry I missed you. She said, the surgeon told me that you just left and she's all giddy. And I'm like, well, he just broke my heart. And she said, why? What did he say? I said, well, he told me that I'm probably never going to have surgery. And she said, why would he say that? And I said, I don't know. And she said, 
don't you give up on me. She said, do not give up on me. She said, you can have surgery. She said, you're going to take this medicine. And she said, we're going to give the medicine a chance to work. And so I said, okay. So it's funny, negative Nancy ended up being my encourager that day. So my husband wiped his tears. And I know he went in the room and cried some more because he went play his PlayStation 5. And I know he was crying in there. But I, I just was sitting on the couch and I was like, well, this is where we are and this is how it's going to be. And um, so I started the medicine and I had a scan on January 4th and I was laying on the couch and my sister texted me and she said, did you get any results yet? And I said, I don't know. Let me go look. I saw the words decreased and resolved. And so my word for this year is resolved because some of the tumors on my lungs resolved themselves. They're gone. And the big tumor shrunk 2.4 centimeters, which is a lot in 45 days. And, um, you know, the doctor called me the medical oncologist, she called that afternoon and she was screaming. She said, I'm so excited for you. And I told her, I said, I told y'all, don't count me and don't count God out because I'm going to live. So a week later, the surgeon calls and he's like this ex-boyfriend that keeps like keeping in every now and then. So what's up? So he calls me on Friday afternoon at five o'clock and he's like hey and I'm like hey <laughs> and he says um he starts small talking and I said you saw my scans huh and he said I did and um he said uh, you know I'm surprised I'm surprised to see that and so he kept talking and I said what do you want like what do you want what do you want to see what do you need to see and he said, well, no more metastasis. And he said that it does, your tumor doesn't grow. And I said, okay. I said, they are now, but I said, well, you know, I'm going to have scans again in April. And we'll get back to you in April. And uh, he said, please keep me updated because he has this, he and my medical oncologist do not get along. So he said, please keep me updated on your case. And I'm thinking, why are you digging in my chart on Friday at five o'clock? Because God will not let you forget me. And I pray every day for that team, those 12 people, that God not only gives them innovative creativity on how to treat me, but he puts on their hearts compassion for me. I pray for every lab tech, every CT tech, every radiation tech, that they have compassion for me because most people don't know, but I was scared to death of needles. And you can't be, that's the one thing with cancer, you can't be afraid of needles. And I will tell you, when I walk into that lab, I sit down with peace, but there's scriptures taped all over the wall in that lab. And I feel God's presence everywhere I go in that building. And 
you know, I used to be a person that they say, you know, when you're growing up and you're a little girl, don't touch nothing. Don't touch that. Don't touch it. And I always, I, I touch everything. I'm a, I'm a hands-on, I got to touch. And I said, I will put my hands and I will leave my mark on every place that I step foot as long as I live and people will not forget me. And when I walk into that cancer center, that big old cancer center, I walk in and they look at me and they like, Miss Brandy, you all checked in and I'm like, how y'all know me? Like either I'm here too much or you just not forgetting me. And my medical oncologist, her nurse, she told me the other day, she said, I'm about to go get your best friend. And I said, oh, she was being sarcastic. I said, oh, no, no, I like her now. I said, we, we friends now. Listen, I'm a passionate person and I don't hide my feelings. And when me and that medical oncologist wasn't getting along. Everybody on that floor knew we were not getting along. I didn't hide. They probably heard us fussing. But, you know, when I I actually told her the other day, I said, you know, I spent the night to come to this appointment. I almost brought my suitcase in so that when you asked where I was going, I was going to tell you I was coming home with you. And she's like, you so hilarious. And I said, you know, it's good to have peace with her because peace is so important. But also, I will fight. That's one thing. I will always fight. I will fight for my will to live. I will fight for my soul to be right with God. I will fight for my family. I fought for my family for so long that I'm not about to give up now. Yeah. Talk about, because I don't want you to leave this part out, When I, the, and what it was that you posted when I reached out to you on Facebook, that uh, your most recent test and the level that went down. Did you mention that? You had the recent test results that the level that had dropped and I don't, and I don't remember the word and I had that written down that you said normally the level is between 14 and 16 in a normal person oh, my, or maybe it increased. It went up. I'm sorry. I'm, yeah, I'm saying my, down the, the anemia, my anemia. So yeah. Yeah. Like I have, the, my body's functioning like a normal person. Now my, my, yeah, my, so my hemoglobin is That's it. now 14.5 and my albumin level was uh, like 1.7 and that's grave condition, like normal is like 3.2, 3.5. And my albumin level is now normal again, which yeah. is helping me to maintain some muscle mass and some body mass. And, you know, the people that are close to me, know that I have a sense of humor and I, I try to make humor out of there's things I can't say on here that I've made humorous remarks about that I've gone through with this because I've been through a lot. But I said the other day, I said, you know, I didn't know that chemo gives you a free DBL because my glutes for as long as I've been working so hard to train my glutes and all of a sudden now, like I have my leg masses. I mean, my body looks right now like it did when I was at my peak. 
And I'm so thankful to God for that. Like all my levels, I had a slightly elevated liver level and it wasn't even anything to be alarmed about. And that's just because of the chemo. Mm -hmm. I told you that you look great. You look great. Thank you. So let's talk about, I guess we're going to go back a little bit and then come forward just because you mentioned to me about your marriage. Um, you talked a little bit about your husband, but when we did our our pre-interview, you spoke about your husband and about your marriage early on in comparison to where it's at now. So can you share with so, listeners how it's progressed? So our relationship started out very toxic. I had a rough childhood and... I had a lot of anger and aggression in me. And so you can't love yourself if you're angry. And you can't love anybody else if you're angry. And I met him. We grew up together. We we grew up together. But we um, actually, I went on a date with another guy. And we went to a wedding. And we were both so severely intoxicated that he had to get carted off home. And my Mm -hmm. now husband got left to tend to me. And so he literally picked me up like a sack of potatoes, carried me over his shoulder and took me to his sister's house to sober up because he could not bring me home like that. And, um, we started dating after that. And the first time we slept together, I got pregnant for our son, Luke. We were dating four oh, months. No. Four months, slept together one time, and I was pregnant. And I was not in a position to be a mom. He was a senior in high school, and I had just graduated. And so it was a rough start. It was, I mean, it was rough. And so Luke was born and um, we kept trying to make it work. We, I mean, we broke up, got back together. It was a, just a toxic cycle. And then finally, when Luke was six months old, like we broke up for good. Like it was like done. And um, a little sometime around Luke's first birthday, we, we got back together. And um, I told him, I said, look, I'm not playing the game that we'll play. And if we're going to be together, we're going to get married. And he said, okay. And I said, oh, wow, it was that easy. So we got married, but there was nothing easy about it. Um, it, w- it was rough. And oh, so much strife, so much tension in our marriage. Um, yeah. He, he was unfaithful when I was pregnant for our daughter. And I found out when she was six months old. And like, I look back. And I was so weak-minded then. I was so weak. and But of course, God's going to orchestrate your life the way he wants it to be. You know, he lays out your life and it's going to play out the way he wants it to. And for whatever reason, we kept hanging in there and hanging in there. But the toxic cycle just, even though there was the infidelity didn't continue, I didn't trust him. And so he kept, Feeling like, well, if you're not going to trust me, 
you know, this is never going to work. And in 2010, we separated, but in the same home. So we, like, the marriage was just, it was falling apart. And I thought maybe, you know, he was at work a lot. So, like, if we could just, I don't know, act like a married couple, but not a married couple, and just see where it went. But finally, in 2011, I told him, I said, I, I, I can't do that. I, I can't. My body can't take this anymore. I can't do this. And um, I filed for a divorce. And um, I'll never forget that day we rode together to the attorney's office. And the most important thing to me was that in that paperwork that we couldn't talk bad about each other to our children, us or anyone else. That was around yep. our children. And so we were on our way home and he was just so distraught. He did not want a divorce. And he he was in turmoil. And I just felt like letting go of him would give me freedom because I just felt like it was so stressful. And I, I was it was making me angry. And so we filed for divorce and um, he got an apartment and I stayed in the family home and I just worked six days a week to be able to be sure that between child support and our son was in high school, he was driving, our kids were in everything. Luke had a personal trainer for football. Brittany was in cheer and dance competition and school cheer. Like So child support went to that. And so um, my children were so broken. They wanted to be a family and I felt bad for them, but I was like, I can't, I can't do this because y'all going to grow up and y'all going to leave me. And then I'm like, then what, you know, cause y'all yeah. going to move out of this house eventually. And I can't do this anymore. Not even for y'all. And my children and my husband kept praying and believing that we would be reunited as a family. And in April of 2012, we were reunited as a family and we remarried. And it was, it's been great. The only thing was I adapted to this party lifestyle while I was single so I continued in that, even though I still went to church, because this is the one thing I believed. My children need to grow up in church. They need to grow up in church. So at least I'm there for them. This ain't for me. This is for them. Yeah. So we consistently went to church every Sunday. And. But me and alcohol doesn't that's that's not a good thing. Me, you know, alcohol is not good for me at all I become a person that is, is not not indicative of a person that claims to be a woman of Christ is the most polite way to put it if I say I'm an ambassador for Christ uh, alcohol does not fit into that equation and so our marriage has been good and then this came up and I 
through this diagnosis, I found out how much my husband really genuinely loves me. And I've seen him weep more through this than I've ever seen, I think, anybody weep. He, he is my best friend. And I told him earlier, I said, you know, <laughs> I mean, I, I mess around with him a lot. I said, you know, if God comes to take me, I'm going to tell him he got to take you too, because I don't go nowhere without my husband. <laughs> <laughs> and he started laughing. And um, I just, you know, I think about how close he's drawn to God to wake up in the morning and see him reading his Bible. And um, instead of watching TV, like normally I get up and he'd be watching TV and he's reading his Bible and seeing the beauty of his relationship with God growing and his faith growing. And I realized, how can I be mad about stage four cancer when it's the very thing that drew my husband closer to God? And so, so what if I live to be 90 years old? If my husband would lose his soul, what good would that do? If I'm the sacrifice that drew him to God, then so be it. I'll take it. That I love him that much. And so I, the one thing I've struggled with is worrying about him and my children. If I were, because you know, if I die, I know I'm going on to be with the Lord. And that's, I think about that often, what it would be like, but I think about the grief, the grief that they would have if they had to mourn me. And and that breaks my heart. Thinking about my daughter having to live without a mother. Thinking about my husband, you know, having to grieve me and eventually move on. And then what my children would feel like through that. and. But I remind myself that we all appoint at a time. I do not believe that God is ready for me. I do not believe that I will die of this cancer. I know that I'm going to die, but I don't believe it's going to be of cancer. Not not this cancer. It's not going to be it. I, I just, I hold fast to his promise that he says, what you ask in my name. You know, and I plead the blood of Jesus over my body. First Peter 2.24 says that by his stripes, I am healed. And I petition him and I plead and beg to him daily. Lord, give me extension of my life. As I battle for my life, like you know, First Chronicles 5 and 20, my former pastor, Pastor Renee Monet, his wife, Vicki, went through stage three lymphoma. And she gave me this scripture that they, they cried out to God in their battles and he answered their prayers because they trusted him. And that scripture is talking about the Reubenites and the Gadites and the half tribe of Manasseh. And those people, they, they cried out to God when they were in battle. 
And he answered because they trusted. And, you know, I continually tell him, I trust you, Lord, because every night when I go to bed at 10 o'clock, I take a pill. It's called cabometics. One of the side effects of it is sudden death. Oh, wow. And I lay my head on that pillow and I go to sleep and I sleep the best sleep I've ever slept in my life with cancer. Because my relationship with God is so intense. And I think about, I think about it like, what if, what if it never goes away? What if I live though for 20, 30 more years? Because it has the relationship that I have with God through it, it's like no other. When you say you're going to trust God with something, a lot of times we're hoping. When your life is in jeopardy, you know, I've had a couple of people who mentored me spiritually, actually. I kind of had to regress from them because they, you know, kind of mentioned that what if I didn't see my healing on this side of heaven and you know, what if, and I don't, what if is not in my vocabulary? Like, is that your way of appeasing yourself? Because is that your explanation of why some people get healed and some people don't? I believe. And when I, listen, when I partied, I partied the hardest and I believed in that partying. And when I believe in Christ, I believe with my whole heart. And I believe that I will see healing on this side of heaven. Yeah. And I I know one of the questions you wanted to talk to me about is who inspired me through this. Yeah. Yep. Other than God. Other than God. And so I had to think about it. My grandfather, he's 88 years old. He's almost 89 years old. He's a retired pastor. And he got saved when I was a little girl. And he lived next door to us. And when he got saved, he took me to church with him. And I got saved. And so I was probably four or five years old. And... I watched my grandpa live throughout his life and he's, he is a retired pastor, but you knew who he was. Like he didn't have to tell you, you knew what he stood for. And the first person outside of my son to come visit me when I was diagnosed was my grandfather. And he said, I want you to know that you are going to die one day, but it's not going to be of this disease. And he said, cancer is not going to take your life. And he told me, he said, here's two books. He said, these are healing scriptures. He said, this is your medicine. I want you to take it in the morning, in the afternoon, in the evening. He said, two to three times a day. He said, read these scriptures over your life. And he said, stand strong in faith and believe. 
And so you ask, well, what credentials does he have outside of being a pastor, which is, you know, a retired pastor? And so I'll go back and I think to the story of Lazarus in John eleven sixteen, 16, doubting Thomas. So when Jesus, when Mary and Martha called for Jesus to go back and see, to pray for Lazarus, they had just tried to stone Jesus and in Judea. And he would have had to pass back through there to get to go pray for Lazarus. And Jesus waited two days before he left to go back and it took him four days to get there. So you hear what I'm saying? Sometimes it takes time. That's six days. My six days is coming. For Lazarus, it was six days, but I don't know what my number is. But I think about, when I think of my grandpa, I think about Thomas, not because my grandpa was a doubter like Thomas. When Jesus said that they were going to go and pray for Lazarus, he said, okay, well, he, Thomas looked at the other disciples and he said, let's go die with Jesus. He was being sarcastic because he was saying, if we go with him, they're going to stone us. Mm -hmm. And that's the life my grandpa lived. He followed Jesus, even if he thought he was going to die to follow Jesus. My grandpa had lymphoma 17 years ago. We were standing in his hospital room at Terrebonne General Medical Center when his oncologist said, in the morning, y'all gonna go can go make the funeral arrangements because he will not make it through the night. My grandpa is still here today because he laid in that bed and he said, I will live and I will not die. Psalm 118, 17. He has street credibility. He has, I could look to my Bible and I could look to Lazarus. But I could look to my grandfather and I see what God has done in him. And that tells me that God heals today. He, he was the healer then. He is the healer now. And so going back to October 25th, when I was told that I couldn't get the kidney out and I was so distraught. And my grandpa called me and I said, how? Could he take me this far and then abandon me? How could that happen? And he said, oh, honey. Oh, honey. There's one thing that I want you to know. He said, God will never abandon you. And neither will I. And I will tell you, I felt, as much as I felt abandoned, I look back and I think I think about Mary and Martha when they had to wait because Jesus didn't come running. Like I said, he waited two days and it took him four days to get there. And so that was my waiting. When I was denied, I had to wait. But little did I know that Jesus didn't abandon me that day. He saved my life because... Had they opened me, I would have died. I would have died. And 
So sometimes what feels like abandonment is protection. You can't go by those feelings because what it feels is not always what it is. And so my grandpa, he calls me and he's been through this with me from day one. And, you know, over the summer, I wasn't going to the gym. I could barely get my head up and I would lay on the floor. There was a day my son came in and he I couldn't even get my head up. And my son put his hands on me and laid his hands on me. And he prayed for me. And that was that in that moment. I said, God, look at what you're doing to my family. You're building their faith. And I thank you. Even though I can't get my head up off this pillow. Even though I can't get up to fix me something to eat. That's why he was here. He was here because I couldn't get up to fix myself food. I had a day when my daughter was here and I laid on the floor and I was just in excruciating kidney pain and I couldn't get up. And she was laying on the couch and she fell asleep. And when I woke up, I saw tears running down her eyes and said, Lord, have mercy on my children. Give them, give them the strength to help them to watch me go through this. And so my grandfather one day he called and I said, I was going to call you yesterday, but I couldn't get up. I was in so much pain. And he said, you listen to me. He said, if that happens again, you call me. And he said, just do one grunt and I'm going to know to pray for you. You don't have to talk. Just grunt one time and I'm going to know. He said, I'm going to know to pray for you. And he told me, he said, Brandy. He said, God showed me that I want to pray for you, that I will to pray for you like you are that little girl. And I went, <gasps> I gasped. And I said, oh, my God, because over the summer, it was my 48th birthday. And instead of celebrating my birthday, I went away to Airbnb to go seek God. And before I left, he put on my heart to seek him like that little girl who first found him. And I never told anyone that. And when my grandfather said that, I knew God spoke that to him. And I said, God, you in control. Like how, how can, so I sit here today knowing that every minute that I have left on this earth is only for the glory of God. Only. There is no, there's no going back to, my old life is over. That, that's over. Like once the cancer is gone, there's no going back. That every minute, and I'm not foolish enough to think that if I didn't walk in the walk that I'm walking, that my life wouldn't be taken from me, even if I were healed. Yeah. Brandy, you exude 
strength, right? You are so strong. But the Bible says that I cannot boast about that because it's only. Mm -hmm. Only. Yeah. And you have been through so much, not even just now, just through your life, right? So what do you do? every day to have and because you still even though you're going through so much um you still have such a positive attitude and a positive outlook and i know that that comes from god and your faith but what are some or if there is anything any advice um for listeners that may be going through something whether it is cancer or just something tough in life what little daily practices do you have to keep your spirits up through something so difficult so the bible assures us all that we're gonna have trials like it's a promise Mm -hmm. so if you want if you live in your best life right now I mean, I'm sorry to be the bearer of bad news, but it, it's inevitable. You know, we're going to have trials. And so my best advice is to develop a personal relationship with God. Because I can honestly say that had I, my well was filled up. So I tapped into what was already put in me. If I would have had to put it in, Mm-hmm. that I would have been a basket case. I don't think I ever could have, I don't, I don't, I can't, I mean, it would have been ultimately up to God, but I know that yeah. I had to tap into what was in there. Like I had to dig and start pulling out the word that was in me and the faith that I had built up. And I I know that if your life is peachy, go to God now and start building that relationship. And that's Mm -hmm. through prayer, that's meditation, that's reading scriptures, that's listening to podcasts that's on the word, listening to preaching that's on the word. And so what I do every day is I get up in the morning and I pray and I read my healing scriptures my papa gave Mm -hmm. me. And then I listen to a preaching podcast while at the gym and I come home and I read my Bible. I do a Bible study. I'm doing a Bible study with my husband on, in, on the book of Romans right now. And at night I pray again, and then I read more healing scriptures and I just try to stay as much in the word throughout the day as Mm. possible to, to remain fueled up. And, you know, everybody's different. How much I pray and how much somebody else prays, you know, it's going to be different how much you read and how much another person reads, but find, find what fits you because everybody's, everybody's soul is going to require different, you know, a different amount. Mm -hmm. I know that because of my nature, I require to be in the word a lot. Mm -hmm. And so it's throughout the day and I just, it it speaks life to me. I mean, until you waking up in the middle of the night, feeling yourself drifting off to where you literally dying, I've had to get out the bed and put my hand on my body and pray over my body and say, I speak life to this body in Jesus name. 
because a few times I could feel myself slipping off and I'm not ready. I'm not ready. And I got teachers in heaven that I gave hell to in high school and they not ready for me either. It's probably the (laughs) prayers of those teachers that are saying, Lord, give us a little bit more peace before she comes up here. Let us enjoy our peace. I love you so much. You have so courageously accepted my invitation to speak about something so personal. This episode is brought to you by MBS Fitco. Excitement is in the air at MBS Fitco as we prepare for our upcoming launch. We're introducing a line of premium activewear designed to seamlessly fit into both your workout routines and daily life. Our versatile collection is perfect for your workouts and equally suited for your day-to-day tasks, ensuring you look and feel your best, no matter the occasion. It's not just clothing. It's a commitment to self-care and embracing your best self. Be the first to experience the fusion of style, comfort, and functionality. Subscribe to our VIP list and follow us on Facebook, Instagram, and TikTok for insider information and exclusive perks available only on our launch day. Dive into the show notes for all the links you need. MBS Fitco is more than just activewear. It's a lifestyle. Join our community and be part of our exciting journey from day one to celebrate fitness, self-care, and your hero within. Don't just wear it, live it. All right, now let's dive back into this episode. So what is it if you had to say one thing when you said that you would do this interview with me? What is it that you want listeners to take away from this interview? So who I am when no one else is around, when no one else is watching, when the cape comes off, you know, that determines your true identity. Because I could get on here and I could say a bunch of things, but I'm living it. So when I walk into the bank and they see me alive, you know, living, when I walk into the gym and they see me doing sets, and when I get on the football field at the wellness center, and for the first time in nine months this week, I did sprints, that's a reflection of who I am when no one else is watching. Because you could fake it till you can make it. But eventually you get exposed. And so you have to be in touch with who your true identity is when no one's watching. You have to know how to be alone. And you have to like who you are when you are alone. And I will tell you today, I had a lot of self-hate. And today when I look in the mirror, I love her. Yeah. And I, I love who I've become. I love all that God has done in me. And I look forward to what he has in store for me. Mm-hmm. And I'm talking years down the road. Yeah. Because one of the things when I petition him every day, I ask him, Lord, please extend my life so that I could be here to watch my granddaughter grow up and guide her in the ways of the word. Mm -hmm. And I believe that I will see that happen. Yeah. And you will. So says your visions and all of the answered prayers that you've already had. 
Yeah. So. So. What's the last? I want to say, oh, I want to say on air. I want to say on air. I am reserving my right to come back on this show yes. when I'm cancer free. Yes, we've all. Well, that's yeah. already. It, we are already going to put that on the books, and that is already scheduled out for the future. When yes. that day comes, you will be back on one. So, what is the first thing you're going to do when you're told that you're cancer free? So, the first thing I'm going to do is call Miss Sarah at. Shay's Bakery and tell her to fire up the oven and she knows what I mean because my favorite thing in the whole world is cake and her cake so the first thing I'm gonna do is call her and tell her to fire up the oven and knowing me I'm gonna FaceTime all kinds of people and I'm gonna be crying and they're I need to make a sign that says nothing's wrong because I FaceTimed all kind of people from my recovery room when I had surgery <laughs> and I was crying and crying and they couldn't understand what I was saying. So I probably need an interpreter so that the person can. And then I think I'm going to plan a fancy party, like a, I don't know, not even a Sunday best, like I, I think a black tie affair. Oh yeah. We're going to celebrate. We're going to celebrate God because yes. The doctors have said, and it's clearly documented, that I have palliative care and this is non-curative. And I said, okay, that's your opinion. God has the final say. Correct. Amen. So we're going to celebrate all that God has done for me. You said it earlier. You mentioned the words, but I'll ask you again. What does finding myself best self, the woman beyond the cape, mean to you? Yeah, and that is that is being who you are when no one else is watching. Be I, I am who I say I am, and so because you know so, there a lot of people are pretenders, and and look, I've been a pretender in my life, like mm-hmm. where yeah. And not even in a malicious way, like in the way where you think you believe what you're saying until it gets put to the test, until you get put under the fire. And when that fire is burning, who are you? Mm -hmm. Who are you? And you have to be able to be true to yourself and understand who you are. Yeah. I hate when I make people cry. No, 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 no. Like, I need a sign. I need a sign. I'm okay. Because Brandy, you have said So many things. And I'm right there with you. And wanting people to take from this interview with you that the faith and having faith in God, because I, in my own time as well as you in the last several months, have really 
seen my relationship with God has just been, it has grown so much. And I going through my own personal things and you've said so many things, you know, like your visions that you saw that are so real and that there is no one that can ever tell you any different about those visions. Because when you see those things and you know how real they are, that no one can take that from you. When you said, you know, that you needed that sign to say, like, I'm okay, because you've had those experiences and those moments where you knew God was there and that you, you know, and you're crying and you're like, but I'm okay. These are happy tears because I know God is here. At church this past Sunday, the pastor got up and he said that we started a new three-part series. And that series this Sunday that started was called During the Storm. And he spoke about, you know, what to do to prepare yourself for the storm, what to do during the storm, and what to do after. And you said about you know, praying to God and being with God and surrounding yourself with God's people. And that is the one thing that he said that during the storm, a lot of times when people are having hard times or going through hard things, because we are going to have struggles, that it's it's bound to happen. Everyone is going to have things that come up in life. And he said, but when those things happen, people tend to retreat and we shell up and we stop praying. We stop going to church. We stop we don't want to talk about it and I'll, you know, I'm going to get closed off from people until it passes and then I'll come back. And he said, and that is a, such the wrong thing to do. He said that when you're going through the storm, he was like, that is when you should surround yourself with God's people more than anything. There's just been so much that you've said today that has resonated with me. And so, and just leaning into those visions and those signs and those synchronicities and having every ounce of faith in God that you possibly can. Because if you, when you believe and you pray and you, God will answer. God does answer. Even if it's and not have, the answer you want. Even if even it's, if not, it's the not the answer, answer you want. You want. Because. Mm-hmm. Yes. I have seen and witnessed that in my life more than I ever have in the last four months of my life. And especially in the last week. And so. When you say those things, I've just, I mean, it's all, you know, so I am 100% with you. And that is what people should take from, from this interview is to have faith in God. Yeah. And, and remember when I said something happened, like right before I, we did this interview, I went to Rouse's. And so there was, God had put on my heart. There were several people 
and this is over the nine months that like, you know, to make amends with. And there was a situation with a guy at the gym, an older Mm -hmm. man, and he made me feel uncomfortable. And it got to a level to where I had to actually yell at him in front of everybody at the gym. And I hated to have to do that. I hated to be in that predicament. Like, I hate when those things happen. I'm like, I don't want to do this. But now you put me in a corner and I have to. And God had been putting on my heart to make peace with him. And I'm like, I'm not going to do it at the gym. Because then what if he's like, you know, I was told to stay away from her and then now she's approaching me. Mm-hmm. And it was so strong on my heart. And it's been so strong on my heart for like the last two weeks. And he's the last person on the list. Mm-hmm. Like he's the last person. And as I've progressed through the list of making amends with people, my health is improving and improving and improving and improving. So that the lesson here is if you have unforgiveness, or any kind of even hurt with somebody, let it go. Like make peace and let it go because it's like a cancer to your body. And so I'm watching Sawyer tomorrow and I stopped at Rouse's to get her some snacks and he was by the milk and I had to get milk. And so I went and I grabbed my milk and I'm, you remember I talked back. So I told God, I, I ain't, I ain't. I ain't, I ain't talking to him. And so uh, my buggy went, I scourged to the uh, orange juice. And boy, I felt it so strong in my heart. And I think my, my buggy did two wheels. Scourge went right back. I walked up to him and I said, I want to let you know that I want peace with you. And I said, I want you to know that I forgive you. And he looked at me and he's he's an older gentleman. And he said, I'm so sorry if I said anything to make you feel uncomfortable. And he said, I said, look, I just want you to know I have stage four cancer, but I've been having it since May because I didn't want him to think, oh, you got cancer. Now you're sorry. Like I wanted him to know, like, this is something I battled with for nine months. Yeah. And he said, I'm so sorry that you have cancer. And I said, well, look, I, you know, I forgive you and I want peace with you. And he said, me too. And um, as I, I said, well, look, you have a good day. And he told me, he said, my friend just got diagnosed with prostate cancer. And I said, well, I'm going to pray for your friend. And as I was walking away, he said, so that means I could tell you hi at the show next. <laughs> and I'm like, yeah, it does. But I walked out the store and I, it's like something flew from me. Something flung. Don't hold on to that unforgiveness. So that mm-hmm. even, listen, there's... There's justification in hurt. There's justification in being angry, but there is no justification in unforgiveness. Because if it's justified, then God don't have to forgive us. Yeah. You have to forgive. And he was the last person. And I'm like, 
I've, like I said, I've progressively seen my body recover through letting those things go. Is there anyone in this world worth losing your life over? No. No. Just because you're mad at somebody? No. Even if they hurt you? No. No. Because I promise you, we, we all hurt God numerous times a day by our behaviors. He forgives us. And I mean, we all do things that are not pleasing to him. Yeah. So who who do we think we are that we can't? And sometimes, you know, the relationships don't always have to go back to what they were. But you have to do it with a sincere heart. And I, I couldn't not say that because I think that's so important. Yeah. Forgiveness. So I have something that I would like to share with you. And I guess the listeners as well, because this is something, a secret that I've been keeping for a a while since I've started this. And I want to share with you because it goes back to um, just talking about visions. So when I first started MBS Fitco and, you know, the visions that I had for this company, one of the things that I wanted to do was you know, how for activewear, any brand that you look at when you go on their websites, you know, they all have, each piece has a name, you know, like they all have different, like, for example, everyone will know Lulu aligns, like there's a line, they're the line leggings. So every piece has a name. And so with my line, because my line is all focused around, you know, being your best self and, mind, body, and soul, and all of those things, all of my collection will be based on affirmations, I am's. And so when I decided this, I, part of my brand is going to be, and that's where part of the podcast came into play as well, is going to be to open it up to allowing nominations for women to be able to be, I guess, a showcase or not. I don't want to use, that's not a good word, not a showcase, but for women to be able to tell their story and to be able to be recognized for their accomplishments and the things that, you know, that they're doing in their life. And so I was like, where do I start or how do I start this? Like, what do I do? And I'm in the process over. I think, I don't know if you've been following or no, but I just put my deposit down for my first round of inventory. I've picked my pieces and, you know, I was like, I'm going to start my pre-launch in February. And I was, you know, I was in all this month. I'm like, what am I going to do? Like, I don't, I don't know where I'm at. And when I messaged you, Brandy, and you answered me immediately, I immediately knew and God put it on my heart that it is you. (laughs) So 
If you would accept. I want. To dedicate my first line to you. And I want you to name those pieces. So there will be three. I have three. I have, there's a pair of leggings. There is a sports bra and a jacket. And so not right away, unless you can, if, unless you already have them on your mind, on your heart. And if not, then we can announce them on a, on a different episode. But I would like to dedicate my first round, my first pieces to you and let you name those pieces. So they would be like, I am. I am. I am. Yes. Uh, Any, I am affirmations. So And then once I have the line in, part of this as well, again, if you will accept, I would love to give you a piece of each in whatever size that you need and have a photo shoot done so that I can feature you on my website. Oh, I would love to do that. But I can tell you right now, I can tell you three of them. I am loved. I am wise. And I am strong. I love that. I love Wise. that. Strong, I knew for sure. That was why I was hoping yeah. that you would pick that one. And then you yeah. can decide which pieces they go with. And loved and wise because we yeah. got to have wisdom. Yes. Yeah. I, I graciously accept. It's an honor. Thank you. <laughs> I know that you're going to do thank good you, things. I, 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 we need, you know, I told you the other day, we need more of this around here. We need people lifting each other up. We need people educating people. We need locally because our culture is different from elsewhere. And you can listen to people from across yeah. the country and that's great, but not like here. Yeah. And the things we battle here, you know, you know, you in, in the mortgage industry and yeah. what people is going through with their mortgages, with insurance. And, you know, we have so much, so much conflict and so much strife here and so much hardship, but yet you still see people thriving. People are mm-hmm. still shopping. They still ordering things. They still going on vacations and we are resilient place. And as much as I think God is not pleased with a lot of things, I believe that his grace and mercy is upon our area. Yeah. And a lot of people are just not paying attention to notice it. I know. I used to be one of them. Same. I'm right there. With but, you. but yeah, wise, strong and loved. Because that's all, that's, that's, that's how I would describe myself. Because I yeah. am loved and I, I, I'm Absolutely. getting wise. <laughs> wisdom is, wisdom is something that comes over time. Every day, every day. And, and strong. I you are always, so strong. God, God made me strong. And, you know, people, people always tell me, you're the strongest person I know. And I used to be like, why do you say that? And I will tell you today, I humbly say I am the strongest person I know. And mm-hmm. I, I because I look at all the things that I've gone through 
and I haven't given up. Mm-hmm. And I, I just, I refuse to give up. And even when you see me in heaven, I still won't be giving up up there. <laughs> no, never. I am so proud of you Thank for you. opening up today. Um, I'm proud of you for opening up. I'm proud of you for all that you've done in your in your faith and your strength. And not even just now, but even in the future and how much further you have to go. And it's so inspiring, Brandy. Just know that you have inspired and touched the hearts of so many people. And I hope that you continue to do that. And I, yes, I am so much looking forward to having you back on my podcast when you can say and let the world know that you were cancer-free. Yes. Thank you so much for accepting My invitation to be on the podcast and for to be my first person to name my first pieces. If you're listening and this episode and Brandy's interview has resonated with you, if it has touched you, or if you just want to share this episode to let other people know about who Brandy is and to lift her up in prayer. Please share it and let's help to get the word out. And whether that would be to encourage other people to have faith or again, to just, like I said, to continue the prayers for Brandy. And again, as always, as I always end every episode, you are strong, you are capable, and you are worthy. I love you and I am endlessly rooting for you. And we'll talk soon. Thank you. Love you. You have a good day. As we wrap up another episode of Finding My Best Self, I want to extend a heartfelt thank you for joining us today. You being here makes the journey much more meaningful. Remember, every step you take, no matter how small, is a leap towards discovering and nurturing your best self. If you found value in today's episode, please feel free to subscribe to the podcast. Your subscription helps us reach and inspire more amazing women like you. And if you could take a moment to leave us a review, it would mean the world to us. Your feedback not only supports our growth, but also helps other women find this empowering space. Don't forget to share this episode with a friend, family member, or fellow hero in your life. Every share spreads a little more empowerment and inspiration. And for an extra dose of motivation and community support, don't forget to sign up for the VIP list for MBS Fitco. By joining, you get exclusive access to our premium, versatile activewear and fitness essentials, carefully designed to inspire and accompany you on your self-care and fitness journey. Follow us on our social channels too for daily inspiration and a peek into our latest collections. You'll find all the details and links in the show notes. Joining our VIP list is more than just a subscription. It's your entry into a world where fitness and self-care are celebrated and every step towards wellness is cheered on. So until next time, keep shining, keep striving, and keep celebrating the extraordinary woman you are. Thank you again for tuning in to the Finding My Best Self podcast, where every story is a step towards finding your hero within. We'll catch you next time.